Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Well, you know what? I'm just going to start recording and just uh, we'll make sense of it after. Because Well, what I was saying before was that... um. There is a good tie-in for today because we're right now we're which, uh, we're witnessing the fall of Kabul and this movie came out January nineteenth, two thousand one. Yeah, um, we're approaching the twentieth anniversary. Well, I guess we went through the twentieth anniversary of this 9/11? movie, and yeah, and right before nine eleven, this came out. It's kind of weird for a movie about oh, time travel came out and a time loop. Before nine eleven, I yeah. didn't realize that because I watched it right after nine eleven, and I thought it had come out after. Oh, that's good context for a movie about a plane crash being like summoned by a. Uh, I guess, well, we're jumping ahead, but a, it's a, plane, ahead. a plane hitting like some kind of time vortex and like altering the events of humanity. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's, it's interesting that we're uh, watching Afghanistan fall right now while doing this podcast. <laughs> and actually, you know what? Coincidence. Yeah. 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 What, what you're saying makes sense that it would come out before because the more I think about it, right after 9 11, anything with planes, uh, landing or hitting things imagery was very very like touchy a lot of places oh dude were... you remember when um remember the biggie smalls juicy lyrics when he says blow up like the world trade they like took that out of the song <laughs> yeah yeah they're bleeping it out of the song the mm-hmm. coup had an album where the cover of the album was uh the twin towers are behind them and uh boots rally is like pushing a button yeah <laughs> <laughs> Remember it's, when, came out back it's crazy how many pieces of media accidentally predicted it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe even and, Donnie Darko summoned it to happen, you know? That would be that would be a great <laughs> tie-in for the movie if they actually accidentally did create, like, uh, what do they call in the movie? Wormholes? Like, the, the, substantia, the substantive universe and, like, the temporal universe. I remember, do you remember when they, um, this was, like, a few years after 9-11. They had to take out the part in Why, the Jadakiss song, when he said, why did Bush knock down those towers? Oh, and it's just, yeah, like, a yeah. one-off. He doesn't, like, elaborate. But <laughs> yep. it, there was so much, like, when Bill O'Reilly, like, demanded he be dropped from his label from that. Oh, yeah, that was a wild time, dude. You know what's yeah. funny? I, I, yeah, we never, it was I, really wild. I think maybe, maybe we have talked about this, T, but just imagine, because I was 20 when 9-11 happened. Just imagine what social media would have been like, well, the day of... And just the subsequent months after, I remember I was I used to always watch those. I used to get high back in those days. I used to smoke a lot of weed, and I used to get I used to get high and watch those History Channel's The Bible Code. You guys remember that shit? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. And they had they, on the Bible Code, they predicted that nine eleven was going to happen, and they predicted it in the Bible and stuff, and like it was ridiculous. And but I can't find that episode on YouTube. I can't find it anywhere. I mean, there were so many weird things. I remember um, at the time I was reading comic books and. But this was a comic book that I wasn't reading, but uh, in comic book news, it became big news. Like It was made, I believe, before 9-11 happened because there's a lead time to make a comic book. And it came out, I think, right when 9-11 uh, happened. But uh, it was a storyline in Superman where these aliens were invading Metropolis and the aliens flew some spaceships or did something and they destroyed the Twin Towers stand-in in Metropolis. 
So there was like a wow. scene where like the Twin Towers are smoking. And then a lot of conservatives got mad at like DC Comics. But it's like, it's pretty clear that this was made before. There's no, there's no way they could rush a comic into production that fast. But people were just that weird back then. Like they were ready to censor or blame yeah, it was you know, weird that was a weird fucking time dude yeah yeah so it makes sense donnie darker would be before because they would have probably edited a lot of this stuff out of the movie or postponed it like a year or two that was another thing people were doing they were just taking things and releasing them like way after the fact because um yeah, they, they did that with black hawk, black hawk down yeah they did that fucking zoolander there's just like a, <laughs> a like sweeping shot that includes the world trade center and they're like no we have to take it out like we have to like digitally remove this oh spider-man he, too yeah yeah, yeah. In one of the spider-man movies i think the twin towers are in like his the reflection of his eye lenses and it, i think they took that out too it was in the trailer or something he's swinging off of them god it was, i i you know to me um I was I was a I was a kid during all of it, uh, but I it sort of drives me crazy now because I guess any time you're living in, if you're a certain age, you're gonna think it's the worst time in some ways, or maybe you think it's the best time. And truly, the older I get, the more I feel that like we're just we're reliving the same things over and over again. That's kind of what life is. You just really relive the same events and meet the same people, and you're kind of seeing if you get it right or they get it right this time. But honestly, I, I, honestly I, that's I, what history is, man. When, yeah. When you look at like uh, I always heard the cliche about America being like the fall of Rome, but then when I actually started reading about the fall of Rome, I'm like, okay, cliche or not, there really are a lot of the same parallels. Yeah. Yeah. Like I. I, but I do think, like, that time, you know, right after 9-11, the, the next, like, I'd say, like, five-year period after that, that was, I would say American society was kind of worse than it was under Trump. I just, oh, I yeah. felt like oh, every yeah. every fucking American was ready to turn in their Dude, I, I, we've we've talked about this, T. People so, and I think it's probably because we're a little bit older than, like, say, kids that are in their 20s. Like, if you're in your 20s, 9-11 happened, you weren't even old enough to remember what the fuck was going on. So it's like people don't realize how fucked up this country was where people were on ready. They were ready to blow this place up like Trump ain't mm-hmm. shit compared to that Bush era. Nothing oh, yeah, compared yeah. to that. The, 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 the Freedom Fries thing was like awesome. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I love that. I love that era. But, but you know something interesting, right? Like a lot of people act like social media created a lot of the current ills we have in society. But I'll say, like, we had a lot of proto-social media. I mean, like, we had, like, MySpace. We had these different things. But a TV in general does what social media does, like, uh, reduces yeah. attention spans, causes alienation with each other, um, you know, makes us into consumerist stuff. Um, I mean, like, like, a lot of stuff you blame social media for, you know, the declining attention spans. People were blaming that on MTV way before social media happened. And social media, I think, just took a lot of trends that were already being created by TV and, and consumerism and just uh, exponentially increased them. But They just bombarded you with more and more and more and more of it. Yeah, just yeah. kind of sped it up. But, but in general, the idea of us losing attention span, being able to appreciate the scale of anything, of everything being flattened, that was already way into effect uh, yeah. before 9-11. And I think that's a reason why we can't really have national tragedies because we don't have real attention. Like we can't sit and stew on something the way like the Chinese can still be mad about Mm -hmm. the opium wars and stuff (laughs) like that. Or how like people were like took Pearl Harbor or like things that happened in the 
civil war to heart for like centuries. Like we forgot 9-11 really quick. It just became a punchline. Like we went from taking it super seriously and saying never again and, you know, F everybody. We're never going to forget this. Uh, anybody who dare says anything about anything 9-11 related, cut off, were... Is a terrorist. Is a terrorist. Like fast forward a couple of years and it's like it became a punchline and a bunch of stuff. It's in rap songs again. People forgot about it. Uh, they opened a memorial, and the memorial is just a mall. The memorial yeah. is just like a, an Apple store. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous yeah. thing when you go to that thing. Damn. America is so fucked up. Our Auschwitz is just a freaking giant Apple store and H&M. Like that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, a guy, there's a guy in front scalping tickets to a Knicks game or something. <laughs> yeah, people, yeah, it means well, nothing. People that can, forget, like, you, you know, you talked about cable TV and everything. And, yeah, it absolutely... People forget every day, and it didn't matter if it was fucking Fox News or CNBC or anything. They would be showing you the terror threat every yeah. day yep. to hype you up for this yep. country doing 10 9-11s every fucking day in yep. Afghanistan yep. and then Iraq. And it's it was such a sick time that it made this nation of sort of couch dwellers, the people who actively watch as much cable news as they can, just cheer for this like it's a sports game. Like get get this little thrill when they think there's an elevated chance of a terror attack. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that vividly. Oh, the terror alert is at uh, level orange today. And, and, and then they just stopped saying it and they would just have it in the bottom of your screen. The bottom yeah, like, corner like, of your screen. Like on the ticker. Yeah. They yeah. Just have it. <laughs> yeah it <was> like, <laughs> I think yeah. it was a fun game for them because they could, they, those people love stealing valor in general or like, you know, just play acting as like war heroes through. Oh, yeah. People they love that. Yeah. So oh, they yeah. really liked it because it was like, okay, technically, we know they're not trying to attack a cornfield in Iowa. So we can talk shit. It's kind of like I'm bluffing, but with your face. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're a pussy. I bet you want to punch him in the face. You know, I right. Mean, that's right. What, <laughs> yeah. what they were doing is like, uh, we dare you guys to bomb us again in New York. Instigating. Yeah, in New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was yeah. always so fucking funny to me where it's, where people are like, oh, yeah, try that here. It's like all those guys died. Like, yeah. they died to yeah. do that. Like, they don't give, what are you going to do, beat them up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. What further consequences? Like, I dare you to blow yourself up in that building. Like, like yeah, what are you going to do? What, you know, was it Mark Wahlberg? It. Was it Mark Wahlberg who said that, like, 9-11 wouldn't have happened if he was on the plane? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. My <laughs> fucking God. So awesome. Yeah, Nothing all five says... foot four of him was going to do something to someone. Yeah, okay. Mark Nothing Wahlberg. Says... I have a funny story about Mark Wahlberg. Oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Mark Wahlberg said that he was, you know, he's from Boston. He's a Patriots fan. He said he was at a, at a Patriots game, and he was taking a piss in a urinal, and a guy just kicked him right in the back. While he's taking a piss in a urinal. <laughs> and then he tells a story about how he turned into Captain America and beat up everybody and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. That dude is such a Boston guy. Like, in yeah. all the worst ways possible. I used to visit Boston a lot. I the hate crimes? Oh, yeah, the hate crimes. I mean, he's every Boston stereotype. The fanciful imagination. Like, you know, oh, yeah. just lying about how tough he is all the time. Like, it's such a Boston thing. But nothing says how far gone uh, we were culturally in the 2000s and the 90, late 90s. Because that's just a weird period. Everything I revisit from that period is always weird. And his A-list stardom is just a test. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, he sold yeah. his no soul to the devil. No other could that guy have been an A-list star. Like, just a Boston bro. Yeah. There's I, a... Yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. Oh, no, there's a, there's a, bo a Boston renaissance, I think, you know? You got <laughs> Affleck and... Um, Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Van Sant making movies. Like, there's just like a, a, a Boston moment, I think. What was there's a couple of TV shows set in Boston too. Was um oh my god, Felicity was that set in Boston? That's a really uh, obscure like oh, late nineties show. Wasn't the show, practice but... slash Boston legal also in? 
Yeah. Boston. Yeah. There was Boston that. legal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how about the celebrated toast to that guy who ended up uh, also going to be a uh, white cannon movie? Uh, what was that movie? The one that uh, is really re- not is not Reservoir Dogs. What's, what's that other one? Boondock Saints. Was it? Is that oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Boondock Saints is fucking hilarious. We should have. Yeah. That's Willem a. That's a, was in that. God, that's damn, definitely that on so the DVD shelf. Funny. That's on the DVD shelf next to Donnie Darko for sure. Yeah, yeah. We should come back for that one. I feel like this, this lineup would yeah, be great. Yeah, it would be an honor. It would be an Absolutely, honor. Absolutely, man. But but that 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 guy being so celebrated by everybody from Weinstein to Wahlberg to everybody was a great example of. Like that Boston moment. He's the epitome, probably the peak of it. That was peak Boston, like his moment of being hot in the game. And I don't think it ever really matched up. But even people like Affleck and Damon, they were Boston guys who could turn it off. But like Wahlberg is just always that Boston bro. Like I watched for the first time his Planet of the Apes during quarantine. I just started catching up on all this shit that I always wanted to watch but never did and one was i'm gonna watch every planet of the apes and i'm watching them all charlton heston is a hammy actor he's whatever but yeah. i can buy him in the role you know mr 70 sci-fi it's, it's fine there's a sequels with lesser actors but it still works and then you hit like the tim burton one and it just feels just like what is this boston guy doing here like get him the fuck out of here what, what is he doing i feel like he should come out the, the, the spaceship with a dunkin donuts box like he just is this not works and it doesn't work for in anything for me i want to make a correction uh felicity is not set in boston i was thinking of ali mcbeal oh yeah and i don't know why i know it, either it, of those shows NYU, though you actually yeah yeah but anyway I, have you ever seen uh any of you guys ever seen a overnight documentary mm. about troy duffy the guy who made boondock saints uh, no. i've been looking for it but it's hard to find streaming i, I probably yeah. find it on a hacked fire stick maybe Felix. Like hearing about how good it is yeah you like it, it, there's there's shit like overnight and like the I had to uh, I, I like rewatch the wall every once in a while like I had a copy on a PC <laughs> but I like I like hooked up a new PC and all this shit it's annoying I had to I wanted to watch it last night after like watching Donnie Darko because I could I consider them sort of parallel to each other I had to watch it on like 480p with Russian subtitles <laughs> and it's like probably the same fucking shit for overnight but overnight's awesome like it's about how this like Boston guy like tried to sort of make it in Hollywood after Boondock Saints, after like the country was stupid enough to like make him into a star, and how he just fucking blew it. And he's he's like you do kind of feel bad for him, but he's also like just seems like awful. Dude, he lived next to my one of my closest friends out here for years, and we would constantly try to go over and drink with him because him and his boys would be out in the backyard raging till all hours. And there was like I need to I'll t- I have to tell you after the podcast, Felix, because I have like blurry memories. But there was like a major incident that happened at Troy Duffy's house. Like I think they like accidentally lit the place on fire drinking beers or something <laughs> and, he had like, and he has like a weird like to- he has like an outdoor toilet i think there's like just some weird shit in his house i'll have to get the details and uh refresh you but what a nightmare i know a nightmare <laughs> uh, uh, to, to contextualize where we are the reason we started in this strange way was we were having this conversation that i thought was really good so i kind of didn't want to nip it in the bud but it was like it wasn't about donnie darko which is what we're supposed to be talking about but it was so good i was like let me just start recording anyway and we were talking about we're talking about covid and all these different things and and 9 11 and and everything and um jack made a good point about that it does actually kind of tie into donnie darko which is the movie that we're here to talk about today because 
this thing came out like right before 9-11 and there's a recent anniversary of of that but also the whole thing with what was it afghanistan and how we're we're kind of kabul reliving that again yeah yeah with the, yeah. the kabul thing which was at the time of this movie that was very that was very um a thing in the air so yeah i mean you're right this movie does even though it's before 9-11 it does still have a lot of connection to 9-11 like like jack said there's a plane there's a plane crashing into things and um i think it also kind of ties into something a little bit before this movie but the whole school shooter vibe. I remember there was a lot of oh, yeah. school, school shooter Columbine stuff in the air for years after um, Columbine. And I think this is kind of on the tail end of that as as well. But it's very much a time capsule. Uh, this is the white canon. This is where we take movies that are like, you know, iconic to white people, but that a lot of black people either don't know about or do know about, but I've never on average watched. And I feel like Donnie Darko is one of them. We have um, Felix Biederman um, from Chapel Trap House. Let's let's catch up on the stuff we should have done in the beginning. We'll let um, Felix introduce himself uh, first. Hey, uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm I'm honored to uh, to take part in this. I weirdly had not seen this movie before. I was like, uh, really? I was like nine or ten when it came out. And, and like uh, Jack, I could have so assumed this was going to be in your wheelhouse. I thought you would have had like. 10 watchings under your belt of this movie. I like it is weird too because yeah, I was like I was like one of those little kids who like read Pitchfork and all this bullshit. Like you know, my brother and sister are like way older than me and like my parents were like kind of cool. So I I was definitely like in tune with stuff. Like I definitely like as a boy my thinking was like I have to be like this type of cool adult. Like I have to get pussy by like calling movie movies and music like haunting and ethereal. <laughs> but then that just sort of like it went by the wayside by the time I was in high school. I was just like on other shit by then. But I just I think this movie just passed me by. And I'd seen I watched all this shit as like a little kid. Like I watched like Memento. I was like super into stuff like that. But I just for whatever reason I never watched this one. And I I wish I did because watching it now I feel like I don't know. I I feel like I don't appreciate it in the way I would have if I was a kid. And it's it's very interesting. I yeah, this is maybe, a great maybe, movie to watch with two thousand and one brain. Like mm-hmm. it's you really need two thousand and one and one brain to get the full effect of this movie. Absolutely. Like I I drew a lot of parallels between this and the wall. The, the when they made like they made the movie out of the album The Wall, the Pink Floyd one. That's about like Roger Waters growing up and like being. It's like just being alienated and wanting to die and then remembering his life and like thinking of a version of the future he's going to get. And like people sort of make fun of the wall because it's super earnest and like over the top and like very literal, you know, like all its metaphors even are pretty literal. Like the how the teachers in British schools are like grinding the kids up into food to to eat each other. But it's I, I like I love it. I mean, I love the album more, but I love it because it is like this very personal thing for him like his dad dies during world war ii and then it's like well we won the war but it's like this country is kind of fascist anyway and i like i've gotten everything i want but i i hate it like i i fell in love and then like that fell apart i'm building a wall around me like very literal and very you know kind of 
schizophrenic in the way this movie is. But I feel where the wall is super literal and focused in what it's talking about politically and socially, this is so 2000, 2001, like, vaguely left, like, indie shit, because it's like, okay, so you have, like, just vaguely, like, the Christian right, you have, like, some form of, like, alienation, uh, the Mondale shit at the beginning... And I, I still like this movie, but it really is like, it's like an if American tried making the wall because it's not as direct. It's not, it's like, doesn't really commit to a lot. It doesn't really like stand on its own, uh, on its own toes and like, this is what I think. And it, I think, I yeah. think what you're tapping into there is not just an American thing so much. I mean, I think it's partially an American thing, but I think it's also just a Gen X thing. Like, like we've talked about yeah. this with, we talked about this with, um, the movie reality bites but uh, uh we were talking about how gen x just had a lot of their idea of being uh progressive or radical was this kind of uh vague rebelliousness that didn't really it was just about being uh authentic or not selling out or whatever but it didn't really mean much outside of i'm not gonna wear a suit or i'm yeah. not gonna do this and that but they didn't have like i know it's like millennials and younger now who consider themselves progressive have a pretty good vocabulary for things whether it's leftist or whether it's even like so-called social justice warriors but they'll talk about like different <laughs> theories they'll mention like massage noir bourgeoisie they'll mention uh means of production they'll mention colorism like, like they have like a body of text or a body of concepts or jargons and as a gen xer i can say this from like experience we just knew like um you know that's just uh that's the man or that's that's selling out, or this is yeah, real. That was good. That was good enough. Just saying yeah. that that's the men. That's good enough. We didn't have to have a dictionary of words that you know. Yeah, rely yeah, on. yeah. We didn't have to have any real, real positive vision, and I feel like that's what is happening a lot here. This is vague type of disaffectedness and alienation. Like um, I always say with Gen X, a perfect example is like if the boomers coming of age had like devil without a, I mean rebel without a cause. I feel like Gen X was like rebels without a cause, but also without even a rebellion. Like, yes. Right, right, yes. right, right. Like, yeah. Gen X had no cause for the rebellion, but also the rebellion had no actual rebelling outside of, I'm going to consume, but I'm just going to consume slightly differently than you. Right. And that's my uh, well, stance against the, capitalism. And if, I, there's no, if there's no action and no, like, real actual principles, then you don't actually, like, really... You do have, like, an ambient bad feeling because you know a lot of this is bad, but you personally, you're absolved because, like, your, your consumption and your aesthetic is different. And, you know, millennials do a shitload of that, too. But, uh, I mean, the the thing that's sick about the wall and Roger Waters is like, he's even like pre-baby boomer. He's like 77. He was born in like 44. He, it's clear when you like listen to it and watch it that like he thinks like he's a bad person. And it's like the Gen X or like millennial version of that. No one would say that. They would just be like, oh, I've like, I've been atomized. Someone did that to me, and even if I have all these things in my life, like I, someone did all this shit to me, and it's like not my fault. But I'm I'm cool because I'm weird in school. And like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, but like Roger, Roger Waters has like this way more like bad shit happened to him. But it, like it's very clear like the scenes in the movie and sort of like in the album where he's this alienated like depressed rock star is like no I'm like a bad person I haven't reconciled everything I've like I've become this thing that I fucking hate and I don't know any way out of it like I fucked up my own life like this is my fault kind of yeah and that kind of doesn't really happen now even with 
the so-called white guilt people, they still kind of couch it in this is something that we inherited and we're forced to. And we hate those bad white people as much as you do. Like there's still that's kind of what you're talking about where it's like, hey, I want to be accountable. I see you and hear you. Let's get together and talk about those bad white people. I'm as yeah, what's, what's as your you, cash you app? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's yeah. your cash app? Let me pay you real quick. I agree that like, my grandparents suck, you know, but yeah, I'm not really benefiting off of this except by accident. And that accident yeah. makes me a victim too because I'm only benefiting by accident because I was mistaught. So you teach me. And this is still this kind of thing where... Bad it's, faith. Like said, yeah, it's not that real self-flagellation you used to get from older generations, like, like what Roger Waters was. Like people talk about how the greatest generation was such a bad generation. But I do think they were, like what Felix says, capable of more earnest self-flagellation than a lot of these modern woke people who think they're so much better. I recently watched Eyes on a Prize for the first time. Oh and my I goodness. was kind of surprised. Yeah, yeah. I never... It's kind of one of those things I always meant to watch, but just never really sat down and watched from beginning to end. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, these kind of white people, for the kind of flack that they get for being so, uh, you know, devolved and regressive, there was a certain way in which they were more progressive than a lot of these uh, NPR tote bag type white liberals today in that they kind of realize, yeah, we're kind of fucked up. We did this shit. When they do kind of self-reflect, there is a real willingness to really kind oh, of yeah. confront themselves as fucked up. Whereas now I feel like it's like, yeah, we're fucked up, but we're all fucked up because of white supremacy, including us. So let's uh, don't, don't be too hard on us, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it causes this weird... The thing that's been driving me crazy lately is this um, people have a very split personalities on like what individual behavior is excusable and what isn't. And, you know, by that, I mean, like everything is kind of personal now because it's that's just a reflection of like consumer choices, outwards political sentiment. At the same time, like I've noticed this, uh, the worst new type, the worst new viral tweet that everyone's doing where it's like, you know, someone is like, you know, uh, oh, we, we can stop using straws or, you know, we, we could make something with recycled cardboard or whatever the fuck. And they're like, 70% of uh, pollution comes from corporations. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, I guess that's true. But like, a, yeah, the, the straw think, makers. You, yeah, like, A, do you think if we like, if we did everything right, like instantly, do you think your standard of living would be the same? Do you think you would get to live the same fucking life? Like, no, probably not. Probably like, a lot of people are going to have to fucking make some sacrifice because what we're doing now is insane. And B, like, no one makes this distinction. No one makes this distinction with, like, media consumption. No one makes this distinction with every with anything else. It's just, like, the problem is structural unless, like... It requires the, me giving up my lifestyle in right. any tangible way. Right. And I feel like Gen X was very much the start of that shift. The very much the start of it's the corporations and it's our parents. You know, yeah, and and I believe that to the point that I am now even starting to believe I'm closer to marginalized uh, groups like black people and gay people and whatever than I am to my parents. Even though I'm going to inherit all their money and all their spoils from all this crap anyway. I'm not actually giving up um, anything, you know. But well, I think Gen X was very much kind of the start of that, but almost worse because 
Well, I don't know if it's worse. It's, it's tough to say because yeah, they, they were upset. It was rebelling every- against something that's no longer attainable anyway. You know, yeah. it was like yes. exactly. I'm not. I'm not gonna get a house in the suburbs and a job and wear a suit, man. And like now, it's like yeah, nobody can do that anyway. Like everybody actually yeah. wants that. Yeah. They yeah. want to have a house, but it's just impossible. It's, yeah, Gen it's X like, was the it- last generation that could have still gotten that, and they rebelled against it. By the end of the day, they still cashed in their chips. And, and, and got it for all the talk like you yeah. know yeah they still got the jobs they still got the house i feel like gen x is the last generation that you know everybody was able to get uh on a- on average real estate by by middle age you know yeah they all ended up wearing suits you know but now the suit is cut as a slim fit you know or maybe it's just <laughs> like you know the tech bro attire where okay i'm dressed down in this open floor plan office you know but uh this is just a new suit you know but you know you know what movie reminds me of that? That might be a whole a whole other episode is SLC Punk. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Oh, I know the premise, but I've never actually seen it. It's one of those ones I've watched. I mean, oh, perfect also, for t- this t- series, take this chance, then. Take this chance to um, introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. My name's Jack Wagner. I host a podcast called Yeah, But Still. Um, and we've done episodes before together. Um, we did uh, This Is Sus with Felix. So I guess we're back again. Yeah. Um, in terms of Donnie Darko... This was a big movie for me, honestly. I um, I, it came out in two thousand one, but I don't think I saw it. I didn't see it till a couple years later, but I did see it before a lot of my friends did, and it, I saw it in a very weird way. Is that my dad, who's still alive, but he had cancer when I was like in um middle school, and like people were giving him a bunch of like really weird like gifts that you get, <laughs> like I don't know, <laughs> like they're giving him like weird sympathy gifts. Which I was too young to like fully understand, but they were like sending him like food and like somebody gave him like a box of DVDs, like a basket of DVDs. And they all like I had never heard of any of them, but I was like probably 13 or something and he didn't open them. And one day or like I had a bad flu later on, like later on in that year and just ran out of shit to watch. So I like dove into those DVDs and it was like all of the indie films that came out around then and like documentaries. And one of them was Donnie Darko. And I remember watching it like with a huge fever, like on my parents' couch and like pulled out Donnie Darko. And then it like blew my mind at the time. I mean, I was like the perfect age to see this movie. And then it's kind of like lived on ever since then. I remember like evangelizing it to my friends as like a middle schooler being like, bro, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen. And like, I, I think it ended up earning its reputation because that type of thing just kind of continued on until like probably when i went to college you know it's one of those movies i mean mean, it has a huge cult following yeah Yeah, people my friend yeah people loved it i i think it was like the first like indie movie i had seen you know i wasn't familiar i was really like i was young so i don't think i had seen like an indie movie i'd only seen like major blockbusters and things like that um i didn't even know that like this existed like this other class of movies that like wasn't like George of the Jungle or whatever <laughs> like <laughs> movies were out at that time. But yeah, it was like a really surreal way to see it and super formative. Especially uh, the soundtrack was very formative for me too. But um, also one of those things I liked a lot, but then like later after it kind of became like a cliche, I sort of like backed away from it and be like, oh yeah, actually I don't really like that movie that much. You know? That's the, that's the worst part of adolescence when you have to pretend this thing that you like you would like send girls on AOL instant messenger you're like actually it sucks <laughs> actually yeah. i like never like that it's like stupid. my favorite is when you do that 
And then the other person is like, actually, I think it's not that bad. It's like, damn, I actually really don't think it's that bad either, but I can't go back now. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, stuck yeah, in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and now I still want to talk to you about how much I actually like this too. But now if I say the truth, <laughs> I'm going to look even worse. It's so it's so freeing to just like release yourself from being a person that has to like, one, pretend to not like shit that like Donnie Darko or whatever. Um, Alternately, pretend to like things that are, you know, widely accepted as like something a smart person would like, but is actually really boring, you know? Yes. And it's very freeing to just not like it. Like, I just saw The Green Knight, and I really hate it. <laughs> oh, man. And it was so nice to leave the theater and just be like, yeah, that was boring and stupid. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not pretending to like it. Like, I'm I know I'm po- supposed to, but I'm not going to do that. I'm at the point now where I can even spot movies like that, like, right off the bat. Like, first, there was all these weirdly defensive tweets about the um, Green Knight from film Twitter. And this Twitter we talking about, I'm like, I've seen this before. I know what's going to happen. This is like Last Jedi or something where I'm going to be berated if I don't like this movie. So I just didn't want to watch it. I saw A24. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a bad sign right there. And then I saw like people, somebody actually put this. This is a real tweet I saw somebody do. They put a picture of the Rotten Tomatoes uh, screen cap where it got high critical reviews and low audience reviews. It goes, as usual, the sign of a great movie. And everyone's like, when I uh, see uh, uh, a no. bunch of critics love it and the regular people hate it, I know the same thing. And everyone's like giving their own examples. Like, here's another example that, that the plebs couldn't get. Last Jedi. Like, okay, whether you like it or not, this is not a high-end, hard-to-grasp movie. Like, nobody is too stupid to grasp that movie. And I'm like, I'm not even begrudging you, like, liking it. Like, I didn't personally like it. I thought it was kind of uh, pretentious and trying too hard to, like, you know, be woke, you know? But I'm like... To go as far as I think that people are too stupid to this movie, and the people, so I saw the same discourse happening with uh, uh, Green Knight, but I saw the perfect opposite movie. I saw this movie on HBO Max called Fatal, and it was kind of like a basic Ooh. instinct with the actor Michael Ely and Hilary Swank and the black guy from Luke Cage. Everything about this movie screamed, "This is a horrible Cinemax style, uh, sexy basic instinct type type thriller. It's gonna be like really bad." In a way, it kind of on paper was like nothing in the movie should have worked. Damned if I did not enjoy. I was never bored. I never looked at the time like I do with a lot of these so-called highbrow good movies that, you know, only critics like and people and and box and slate. By the time it was over, I was like, wow, I really just enjoyed the movie. And I felt kind of ashamed. Like I felt dirty for just enjoying. And I went on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and sure enough, it got 90% audience approval and about... 30-something percent uh, critical score. And I can see why the critics didn't like it because on paper, there's nothing in this movie that, that you should uh, like if you're a snob. But it, I feel like it should be okay to enjoy movies like that because a lot of times, they're just better at remembering people have to be entertained while they watch this shit. They can't just, uh, you know, be, re- be watching this to write think pieces. So, wait. So when did you guys hear about Donnie Darko? Oh, like, Because isn't the premise um, of these episodes, like... That it's like a white people movie, you know? I heard of Donnie Darko around the same time. Well, this is Kenny from Champagne Sharks. um, Famously not on Twitter. Um, (laughs) I heard of Donnie Darko around the same time I heard of uh, Requiem for a Dream. Mm. I saw Requiem for a Dream. That movie fucking freaked me out. And then I watched Donnie Darko. I don't even know what year that was. I think it might have been like 08, 09, something like that. Then I watched Donnie Darko for the the first time I watched it. I was completely lost. And then I watched it again. And I was like, okay. But like you were saying, like, um, 
you know, when you come across movies like that, it's kind of like uh, you kind of don't want to tell people that you watched it or that you liked it. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. how it was with Requiem for a Dream. Like I saw Marlon Wayans. That's the only reason why I watched it. Because I saw the trailer and he was in it. And then I when could, I watched I it, I was that. like, why the fuck is like, he in this bro, movie? This makes no sense. Yeah, I, like, I, I, was debating, I, I was debating whether to put that in the white canon because I feel like it's a movie that white people really like. But a lot of black people watched it because of Marlon Wayans to the point Wait, that yes. I feel like a lot of black people watched it. So I was on the fence you guys know how like You guys know how like Netflix makes their own custom color uh, covers for movies and like and like targets people based on their race? Have you, are you familiar with yeah. that? No, I didn't oh, yeah. know this at all. Oh, yes. So like, so they switch up. They make their own cover art for movies. Like you'll notice it'll be like a screenshot with like the title of the movie and they'll just pick their own screenshots. And it was for a while there. People were noticing that if Netflix knows that you're black or like thinks that you're black, they'll like try to make different movies appeal to you by having like the only black person in the movie on the cover even if they're in there for like five seconds oh there are God, some funny so examples funny. but i'm just imagining like doing that with requiem for a dream and like kind of marketing as a as a wayne's brothers movie on netflix and how many people would be like completely baffled <laughs> like halfway through be like that yeah, this is not funny <laughs> this is not a fun this is not marlon wayne's who is this guy because he's not getting funny suggested. in the movie at all yeah yeah <laughs> i remember like with requiem for the dream for a dream i remember when i went to camp and it's like ages like 10 through like 13 i uh i remember like some other kid like warned me like that he'd seen requiem for a dream and that like i personally shouldn't get into drugs (laughs) 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 he was like he was like you're like you're like really like funny as an 11 year old but like the worst thing that can happen to you is like if you get into heroin like in this movie i was like thank you thank you for thank you for warning not understand (laughs) what was going on in that movie I love also how after school special it is because like after school specials are very good for the, the kid in the basketball team takes like one huff of glue or something and then he has five o'clock shadow he's like twelve somehow but he has five <laughs> yeah. o'clock shadow and he's like yeah, that, his whole that life movie is definitely spiraling. it it really is five uh, uh, after school special I mean, yeah I mean, they go so overboard at, yeah it is I never the worst thing that can happen really to is. everybody happens yeah oh yeah 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 this got my guy Keith David in that movie too I love that guy. Every I he's never been in a bad scene. No, like ever, <laughs> ever. Like I don't care if the movie's bad or whatever. It's like his scenes never bad. But yeah, like that. I I love that movie because yeah, that's exactly it. It like has because it's like very disturbing and like visceral. It like fucks you up, especially if you see it as a kid. But like yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like looking back, this is a fucking after school special. It is just like if you touch drugs at all, like this is going to happen. You're gonna to be you. going ass to ass in a room full of. <laughs> Office yeah, guy. yeah. So, you're gonna lose your whole arm, you know. Which you know, yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm sure has happened to heroin addicts, but I don't think it's like a very common, like you know, like you know. I'm, I doubt even like 10 percent of heroin addicts lose their whole arm, you know. Like it was just yeah. the worst case scenario for everything I mean, under the sun. I, I think like movies like that are like uniquely damaging in a way because it's like well like a certain percent of people are gonna like try hard drugs in their life. Like not everyone just like smokes weed once and then is like okay. I mean, there are some Doug Benson characters out there who, like, they smoked weed for the first time. They're like, yeah, I figured out the rest of my life. But, um, (laughs) like, uh, you know, there are people are going to try stuff. And I feel like it's, like, sort of bad to, like, and this isn't just, I don't want to put this on the movie. This is also kind of, like, American drug policy and kind of what the 12-step program says where it's, like, you touch that once, like, you're already on a path where they're going to cut off your fucking arm. And you're going to lose everyone 
if you like even yeah if you like try coke so i think it like some people who are already like pretty suggestible like they fuck up they do it they like want to impress somebody or they're curious or whatever and then it's like they like it they like coke or they like whatever they've tried and it's like oh well okay i guess like i i think something else that happens in addition to what you said too is i think sometimes because this is kind of like what happened to me because my parents would always exaggerate the consequences of things as well and you know they were kind of similar to the after school specials is that when you realize it's not as bad as they say that you don't really want to trust anything is as right. bad, yeah, is as, yeah, bad yeah. as they say so that used to happen to me where i was like okay like i know a lot of people who are doing like, these type of drugs and they're like functional and fine so i think you end up opening the door to a lot of problems that are valid problems in their own right but you because you were taught to expect these so much worse problems you end up doing the problematic behavior whereas if someone just kind of warned you realistically it might have worked anyway someone just said hey you know you're gonna end up uh wasting a lot of your days you know or falling behind your friends you know as far as an accomplishments and more down-to-earth problems you know yeah that might have worked to scare me but instead you told me to expect instant death and sucking dick in the back alley or something and (laughs) as long as as long as that doesn't happen then I'm then I then I won. You know when Obama gave that like stupid fucking speech in 2008 when he was like, um, uh, your uh, chances are you're not Lil Wayne. Uh, to stay in school, and it was like, <laughs> like even at the <laughs> oh time, yeah, I, I remember like, that. Man, this sucks. But like, that's the speech I want to make. To if I was president, I would make a speech to kids where it's like, you know, you could be Bob Dylan and like do heroin forever and it's fine, but chances are you're not. You know, do it <laughs> once and. Th- then you know what it's like. I don't, I don't know, something like that. And I, too, I, I, I got caught up in uh, Donnie Darko because of the soundtrack. When I heard Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels, I was, done. I was, I was caught. The soundtrack is great. great fucking soundtrack. The yeah. soundtrack is yeah. amazing. I'll say this about myself with the movie. I watched it in 2001, but I was going through a phase where I was deliberately trying to broaden my horizon. So I was trying to try, try things I wouldn't normally try. So it was a movie I would have probably just at one point, like, uh, dismissed as, like, a white angst movie or something, suburban angst movie. And it kind of is, but when I watched, when I did watch it, I remember really liking it, and I had become convinced that if I rewatched it, I would hate it, just because a lot of things I used to like back then uh, would be kind of... You don't like anymore. Yeah, yeah, because a lot... I was a sucker for pretentious things I couldn't understand, so I didn't understand something I would automatically assume was brilliant a lot of times. And then I rewatch it as an adult. I'm like, okay, this was just confusing for no reason. Like, I was one of the few people who thought, like, Matrix Reloaded had a point, you know? I was there, like, trying to parse all that stupid... Uh, would you Would you say... Art. Would you say... I didn't want to cut you off, T, but I got okay. a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would you say that Donnie Darko is a period piece where it's like, if you didn't grow up in that time, you probably won't give a fuck or you probably won't like it as much because of the, uh, the era that it came out? It's hard to say because I'm too much of that era. So I cannot... Yeah properly put myself in the mindset of someone who's totally unacquainted with that type of music that type of 80s teen movie i mean i wasn't a teenager in the 80s but i yeah, had an older sister and i consumed all the um john hughes movies you know as a kid and all that stuff and i had this certain idea in the 80s of what being a teenager was like and this movie i feel like very much traffics in those 80s tropes like i think the, kind of like the ferris it, bueller type yeah yeah so i'm too i think it holds up yeah, I think it does. I think it does hold up. I just feel like I'm not I was, the key audience to say so. But yeah, go ahead. I, w- I was so young to even I was too young to even like know about the references of the 80s. I just kind of like took it all in like there's all and there's 
not that many. It does kind of look like it could hap- take place in any era. There's not many signifiers except for like Michael Dukakis. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's true. But otherwise, like it just, you know, there's not really much use of technology. They don't like hammer it home, which I, I think is great. Like normally if a movie's set in a time period, he'll be like, oh, thing, look at my thing, eight track player. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know? One thing that's ironic, and I think is a good example of what you're talking about. Even though this had less blatant 80 signifiers, it felt more authentically 80s than say, Something like Stranger Things that is trying so yeah, hard. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. we're the 80s. We're the 80s. Hey, look, Ghostbusters. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at all these posters yeah, on the wall. 80s, 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 80s. 1980s, yeah. yeah. Like, even the 80s weren't that 80s. Like, I, like, I lived in the 80s. No, I'm like, oh, my no. God, this is more 80s in my childhood. Like, nothing was ever this 80s. Even the 80s was not this yeah. 80s. When I saw it, though, I didn't, like, really pick up on it. And I interpreted it as taking place in the present. And it, like, it hit home with me for sure. Because, I mean, just on, like, very basic level, like, um... Like when he first meets that girl, like it's just, you know, it's a classic indie movie where at the time when I was 13 and just like, I was like, oh man, like that would be so sick if like a cute <laughs> indie girl showed up and like, oh, what the oh, God, I want that so bad. Like, isn't Gretchen so like true. a new kid at the school or something? Yeah, Gretchen, Gretchen shows up in the wrong. This is kind of what I like about, I like how like stilted, I feel like a lot of this movie is like stilted on purpose because it's like could very well be like a delusion jake gyllenhaal is having or it's like this is an alternate reality so everyone everything's gonna be kind of off everyone's gonna be kind of fucking off and yeah when she goes in the classroom and there's this like weird back and forth between her and drew barrymore and gretchen is like uh oh yeah they like put me in the wrong english class and drew barrymore goes well you look like you belong here and she goes where do i sit which is like not really a question a student would ask like right. that just doesn't really fucking make sense. Yeah. But and then Drew Barrymore goes sit to the bo- sit next to the boy you think is cutest, and it's like very clear. I thought that this is like a delusion, or like it's like a version. It's a different version of reality that isn't really happening in the main reality as we see later on. And I like I actually did find that pretty cool. And I I guess like I like how it looks, and I do like the weird quality that all of it has like they made this movie in like under a month i think that's Damn, part of the reason wow. for some of this shit yeah but like i um i it's interesting to me like going back to the gen x thing and like this sort of like disaffected around the turn of the millennium feeling that a lot of this movie is kind of about like well i wish i could go back in time i wish i could it's on a very personal scale of like i wish i could go back in time i wish i could both like go into a version of the world where i am a hero but I also wish I could go back in time and create the reality that we all deserve to have. Like when he's reading his poem in front of the class, that's kind of what it's about, that he he guides the children back to where they're safe and only he can see them. And whether that part of only he can see them is about schizophrenia or like just a different version of reality that only he can see, I feel like it's a little bit ambiguous. But I sort of, to take it fully back, like the part where they're talking about Mondale, and the fact that they're in Minnesota, which was like one of the last holdouts, you know, states that didn't go for Reagan or uh, HW, is very interesting because if, yeah, if you're like a left liberal at this time in 2000, and you probably are thinking, like, what the fuck, what went wrong? What timeline do I have to live to, like, not live here? I feel like this is all coming to an end, or at least we're going in a really dark, fucking awful direction. But I, I'm not the hero of this story and i never will be but like maybe if there is another reality i could fucking live in i could finally be the hero 
and that's that's what that's i think every generation after the boomers they're like the central anxiety and freak out is like i'm not the hero but what would it take for me to be one yeah i i think there is definitely a lot of that but i also think there's a flaw evident in its conception of what it takes to be a hero like people can't think of any way to be a hero outside of being a superhero like a lot of people yeah yes a lot of people can't think of a more grounded realistic boring way to be a hero like people are so disaffected and feeling so powerless i think there's a reason why um something like superman had to be created for very very young children because like young children are so 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 powerless that they can only conceive of their power fantasies in the most ridiculous counter extreme so of course a childish uh power fantasy is going to be like a superhero like like they're not going to think of things as like being able to vote or having a little bit more money than your neighbor like like they need their power fantasies like big because they're that powerless in their everyday life and i feel yes. it's very telling that the superhero fantasies creeping older and older because i think that level of uh childlike impotence is uh infiltrating adult adulthood so yeah i think what you're saying is absolutely right but people cannot think of anything as simple as uh being old joining a war is not sexy anymore because after vietnam everybody knows that it's imperialist and and bullying and part of the problem and you're actually a bad guy like what fantasy is kind of left for a white male that's unproblematic and um you know whatever and i think it's things like um either checking out altogether with apathy or you know, like which is a big Gen X fantasy of rebellion yes. or being a superhero where you're uh, uncomplicatedly on the right side and all powerful and can do all this stuff. Because, uh, yeah, this very much was kind of and they kind of hang, hang a lampshade on it where she says, which I, well, I kind of didn't like this part because a little too on the nose, but she says sounds like a superhero name. It's like, okay, that wasn't necessary. We get it. Mm. Right. And then he goes, how do you know I'm not? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I. I mean, I do wish there were more movies like... Do you remember John Q? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a movie like that where a guy is a hero, but he does something like anyone could realistically do. Exactly. Like go into... Just got to have balls. Yeah, yeah. Like it's also a way to let yourself off the hook. Gun. Yeah, it's also a way to let yourself off the hook because if the only way you can be, you know, part of the solution is to be Superman, you know you're never going to be Superman. So you can always yep. yeah, yeah. be like, hey, if I did have those powers, though, I would really be a you know part of the solution but i guess i don't so i won't yeah and i think every like this is sort of in that way this movie's sort of like great beyond itself i guess because it's like it it presages like yeah everyone wishing they were captain america as you said and like the implicit realization being that you're never going to be that so you actually don't have to do anything and the fact that you like wish you could do that i wrote god damn this is such a weird connection but like i don't know if you guys remember the serious fave star guys oh yeah yeah and early yeah. days of, you're talking about the early days of twitter like people who used yeah. to really uh pay attention to their like stats yeah so like for people who are listening who don't know these were guys they were all guys in their like late 30s like early 40s sometimes older uh and their pictures were always like them in like a baseball cap and like sunglasses and like black and white and like looking away from the camera and their jokes were mostly like just shitty formulaic twitter stuff like whatever sometimes though they would like get fucked up like all of them would do this it was so weird it was such a weird phenomenon they would get fucked up and be like if anyone is out there hurting children i would kill them 
There's this one <laughs> dude, the, dude, there's this the best of them I ever saw is this one fucking guy who goes like if I was ever in a situation where it was be- between my life and a child with cancer, I would give up my life. <laughs> it's like what? What? The same, the same guy said if I won the lottery for 250 million dollars, I would give 247 million to kids with cancer. <laughs> Like, just getting fucked up and, like, imagining all these situations where you're a good person is, it's amazing, but, like, I think we've, like, everyone laughed at it, but it's, like, that's kind of what, like, everyone is now. Everyone is that, but just with, like, a higher, like, a, a, in a different class strata. No, it's, it's true, so, and I think that's why so many people want that um, not privileged um victim kind of status and a lot of these things because it gives you free reign to criticize what everyone else is doing once you finish establishing that no one has a right to expect anything from you yes so yes felix that's interesting you say that because i mean well this is about the end of the movie so like i don't know if i'm like jumping ahead but i guess you're all good here by the way it doesn't matter so cool. Yeah, so it's been maybe twenty can, years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe some. I, I never understand anybody who wants to listen to some somebody talk about something but refuses to watch it first. Like I feel like you've taken it upon yeah. yourself. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess that raises the question, like the big question at the end of the movie. This whole thing's about like this time loop that he sacrifices himself at the end to you know stop all of this horrible stuff from happening, including like Gretchen getting killed uh is it him actually doing it or is it donnie darko like in the seconds before dying like fantasizing all this bad stuff that would have happened and like kind of making him a hero before he dies you know there's like two ways to sort of interpret this movie oh that's a really interesting one of of them yeah oh wow yeah yeah. well because the movie i mean is it worth summarizing it like i don't you know he the major plot points i guess he oh well fuck so the, the engine misses him he was sleepwalking Opening the movie, he's sleepwalking on a golf course. Uh, while he's gone, like an engine crashes into their house uh, on his bed and misses him. I think he meets Gretchen because of that, right? Like the cute girl that's new at school or like immediately after. And then there's the, the whole thing with a child molester. He like starts sleepwalking and like doing things, including exposing this child molester. He like breaks a valve in the school. Like he does a bunch of stuff that like sets off a chain of events. Um, that eventually results in his family being on a plane that crashes and that engine goes into like this time loop, a vortex, I guess, like a wormhole, is that what it's supposed to be, that eventually kills him. Meanwhile, he's seeing this bunny called Frank that ends up being a drunk driver that... Was he a drunk driver that kills uh, um, I don't his girlfriend? I don't think he was even a drunk No, driver. I don't think he was drunk. Yeah, He I just think, like I, accidentally hit yeah, Gretchen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Donnie Darko kills him. And so and, it's like, and, and, and then he realizes at the end of the movie. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, I'll just say. Oh, well, I, well, I guess like all, all of it at the end, like he chooses like, oh shit. Like if I, he, he realizes that there was like this time loop and he's like, if I die 30 days in the past, none of this will happen and all of them could be alive. So that he goes and like decides to die in the bed. I don't know how he goes back in time, but I guess, so there's like two ways to interpret it is that he like consciously decides to do all this stuff or that it's just like he's imagining it. And I guess there's a third that where he's like just a crazy guy living, like hallucinating it entirely, you know, <laughs> like and none of it's even real. What, one thing that's interesting about um, the movie to me, right? When when I rewatched it, right, between the time I first saw it and I watched it again, uh, a lot of things that I liked back then, I kind of that I thought were very deep. I would listen to now or watch now, and I'm like, okay, this was just 
Gen X self-indulgence and uh, narcissism and the idea that if I make this confusing, it must be deep. That, that would be my experience a lot when I would like, you know, try things again. A lot of old like mumblecore movies I thought were like so great. And I'd watch them again. I'm like, okay, this is just some self-indulgent stuff. I used to think like Bjork albums, like so conceptually crazy and, you know, intelligent. And, you know, there's still good songs where I'm like, okay, a lot of this was just, you know, self-indulgence again, you know, and weirdness for weirdness sake. So when I watched this, I was ready to not like that, especially because I tried his second movie during the pandemic. Uh, I, th- I think it's the second one, Southland Tales. And that one was so bad to me. I couldn't even finish it. Bro, his follow-ups are so weird. Oh, that he only did. This movie was a smash. And the only things he did was like Southland Tales. Was it like a crime movie? And then The Box. Yeah. Like, yeah. The uh, fucking oh. box. This guy loves This guy loves movies where it's like, yeah, a normal guy runs into like a metaphysical crisis object. <laughs> but, but That's his genre. Another weird movie he did too was... Um, Domino with Kira Knightley, which is a horrible movie. Yeah. It doesn't fall into yeah, that yeah, categories, but it has no idea if it wants to be campy or what. It's just a bizarre movie. So I convinced myself, okay, Donnie Darko must have been he, he didn't he didn't he didn't direct um he didn't direct Domino, but he wrote the screenplay. Uh but still it was a, a weird screenplay. So a Tony Scott director, but I tell myself, okay, so Donnie Darko must really have sucked, and I was wrong because everything else I'm seeing by this guy is so bad. So I was pleasantly surprised how much it held up to me. Like I really liked it. I'm like, this is a nice mood. Like I took it as a mood. Like this movie's a mood. This movie's an allegory for teen alienation, and I mean, it's a lot of white people problems. Like you know, like things like, oh, I hate you, mom. It's like, okay, what did your mom do that was so bad? Just give you a lot of love in a house quality of living better than like 80 percent of the world like okay whatever you know you're you're kind of a spoiled white kid but it's still realistic i think a lot of people kind of live that life where they on the surface don't really have much to complain about but they still feel alienated or angry at everybody and have a vague i'm like, okay this is a nice metaphor there's a general time loop thing that if you think about it too hard it might be weird but if you just accept it loosely like you're not meant to understand it okay it's fine but I got mad at the movie all over again when I actually looked up what it's supposed to be about. And I sent you guys that article. And it was yeah. that oh, yeah, whole yeah, 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 in-depth yeah. plot. And this, what really made me upset was that the whole in-depth plot was revealed in supplementary materials and other places. Like a lot of places do that now where it's like it's a mystery box show, right? And to understand everything that happened in the literal plot, you have to go online and go to these weird viral tie-in pages or follow a gimmick Twitter account. Or for like Watchmen, there was this thing called Pedipedia. They made a whole fake Wikipedia for Watchmen and put it on the HBO website. And you had to read all these things to find out basic stuff that the movie should have told you. And that, to me, is such a thing I hate about modern tv and movies now uh the mystery box writing like jj abrams and damon lindelof do this a lot where it's like like a regular mystery is something where it's like you know everything the protagonist knows you know everything that's happening in real time is withheld from you is the same stuff that's withheld from the protagonist and you have to understand you have to discover it at the same time as the protagonist and so forth but as far as understanding the basic things that are happening in what's being shown you're able to do that with everyone else but mystery box stuff is when i feel the creator withholds basic things you need to understand even about the protagonist like like you, you don't have a basic knowledge of what's happening in what you're seeing not because of some cleverly contrived mystery but because they choose to just needlessly withhold it from you to make it look deeper than it is 
and this movie I felt was very much like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys figured didn't, it didn't out. They try to, didn't they kind of do that with Pulp Fiction? Um, when you first seen it, isn't Pulp, Pulp Fiction kind of the same way? Pulp Fiction, though, I think the stuff that's not answered is meant not to be answered. So it's kind of the point. Like what's in the briefcase doesn't actually matter, you know? Right. So I right. think it's yeah, part yeah. of the point. Whereas with a mystery box thing, you actually need to. Uh, like you can understand everything that happens in Pulp Fiction even without understanding what was in the uh, briefcase but mystery box stuff is like you need to actually eat it through a flashback at the very last episode like for example Watchmen to use an example this is spoilers for Watchmen who Dr. Manhattan is and everything that the main black woman character Sister Knight has been doing up until now you will not understand it until you get to the second to last episode with the flashback. But even then, you're still not going to understand it because you have to go to Pedipedia to fill in all these other blanks, you know? So you almost can't connect with the main character because they have to keep part of her distant from you in order yes. to preserve mm-hmm. the secret. Mm-hmm. If, if you get too immersed in her character, you're going to find out that her husband is actually Dr. Manhattan. You're going to find out her whole scheme. So there's this kind of forced distance. And I felt like... Uh, when I read the actual summary of what was happening in Donnie Darko, that was my one thing I didn't like about this. It was like, this, is one of the, this is one of the first, and I don't think it's credited with this, but one of the first mystery box things where the creator is deliberately hiding stuff from the audience that doesn't need to be hidden, but just to make the audience more confused and seem smarter. Because maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you guys had a different experience, but can any of you piece together most of that plot from what we were shown on the screen? No, no. not re- no, not really. I needed YouTube. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like there is no way for you to possibly uh, tell all that stuff that he apparently revealed in a commentary track or in some kind of DVD extra. Yeah, I need to read that article to see like what he actually is said that the movie was about. But I, I will say that I saw this before like YouTube explainers, so I, I, I clearly figured out some meaning whenever whether or not it was right, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's what's so what's interesting about this movie, like to me, kind of, is that, yeah, unless you watch this over and over and over again, which I think a lot of people did, um, it caught on for a lot of people like pretty easily. And I think it's because like they do in some way like feel as Donnie Darko does, even if they're not schizophrenic, they do feel, you know, people who were like kids or teens when this movie came out, they did feel like alienation they're the only person who like sees things for what they are they wish like yeah some like indie girl would just basically walk up to them and be like can you be my boyfriend like all this <laughs> shit and so it is like it's a very emotionally resonant if it catches people both in the right time in their lives and the right moment culturally but uh i i think like if you were outside that moment or your experiences were that much different or just your feeling was that much different, you just walk away and you're like, well, that was a weird fucking movie, whatever. You know, I don't hate it, but I don't like, like, but for other people, it just connected with them so much that they will watch it over and over again or like wait for the commentary track and go like, oh yeah, no, of course, it's the temporal universe and the like time travel bullshit. Like I had just, my my take on, you know, what version of myself do I have to be to be a hero? That's just what I got from only watching it. Really like all the explainers and everything didn't really like add that much for me. All right, y'all, so that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link 
in the show notes to get part two. Be good. <laughs>